0: Welcome to episode 85 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand papermaking and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand papermaking studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat and papermaking masterclasses here in the studio. And I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today, I'm talking with Deborah Balmuth, the publisher and editorial director at Story Publishing, the publisher of my papermaking books and my new book, The Art of Papercraft, which is coming out on February 15th. I'm so excited. Deborah heads up efforts to acquire and publish outstanding, long-lasting, nonfiction books that support Story Publishing's mission of promoting personal independence in harmony with the environment. She works with a group of passionate editors who seek out promotable authors with deep, hands-on knowledge and wisdom on topics ranging from gardening and farming to crafts, cooking, building, outdoor living, natural well-being, and creativity for both adults and children. Since joining Story in 1993, Deborah has conceived and edited many best-selling titles that reflect her personal interests in herbal medicine, crafts, and nature journaling. And I'm honored to be one of the authors Deborah discovered way back in 1995. This episode is a little different. We're not talking just about paper, but about, um, book publishing and my relationship with Deborah and Storybooks. Enjoy our conversation. Well, Deborah Belmuth, welcome to Paper Talk.
1: Thank you. It's so nice to be here, Helen.
0: Yeah, we've known each other for a long time, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You've been with Storybooks for a long time. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this will be fun. So, um, just tell me a little bit about growing up, college, and if you how how you landed in the publishing world.
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in Hamilton, New York, which is a small town in Central New York State, and my father was a philosophy professor at, at Colgate University, so that's where I grew up. And I and my mother had been an English teacher. She stopped teaching when um, she had kids, but I grew up in a house that was full of books and music and art and. Um, and a lot of reading, a lot of readers. I was Uh surrounded by a lot of readers, so I think that um, definitely um, made an early impact on me. Uh, I went to college in Minnesota at Carleton College, and I majored in history there, although I studied a lot of English as well, and after I graduated from Carleton, I moved to to Boston, and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I found my first job Um, through a blind ad in the newspaper, (laughs) but they used to have those ads, like send your resume to box so-and-so. And and it was for an editorial assistant at a very small publishing company at that time. It was called Autumn Press. Uh It was about uh, five, there were five people in the publishing company. It was a husband and wife um, that had started this company and they had actually lived in Japan um, originally. And they had published a book called the book of Tofu, which was, this was in this was in 1978, <laughs> um, uh-huh. but prior, but they had published it. I think the book Tofu was probably in 19, early, mid 1970s or, um, and they um, had brought that to the United States. It was a book by Bill Shurtleff and his wife, um, I can't think of her name right now, but she was Japanese and it really introduced um, Tofu to to the United oh. States at that during that natural foods movement of the 1970s so that was where I got my start in publishing we actually worked out of a bedroom of their house two Uh of us that were editorial assistants and I learned I learned everything about publishing um and book publishing especially through filing contract documents and um reading proofreading galleys and uh and uh, watching the layout of the books uh, that happened right there on site with at that time, it was all um, it was all galley proofs and, and paste ups. Right. And <laughs> uh, so that's how I got introduced to um, to publishing. And they did a lot of natural food cookbooks and a little bit of Eastern philosophy. And um, and I just I got a really great inside look at what book publishing was. And I really lo- grew to love it. I had several other jobs staying in the Boston area. I worked at Daedalus Journal, which was a scholarly journal at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And then I ended up at Boston University um, doing communications for one of the schools there. So I did their alumni newsletter and I think I got really introduced to marketing there really oh, because I thought about who the audience was for their newsletter and interview, doing interviews with alumni and writing profiles. Um, and I was able to take courses for free while I was working at BU. So I worked on a uh-huh. master's in mass communications. So that was uh, that was how I got my master's degree. Okay. <laughs> and then I moved out to Western Massachusetts when I met my now husband, who uh, is a native of Berkshire County, which is our Western Massachusetts area. And when I got here, I thought, boy, I, I didn't have a job. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'd really love to get back into public book publishing. That was what I really loved. And um, my sister was working at Williams College at the time, and she knew John Story, who was a Williams alum, who had started this publishing company, Story. At that time, it was called Story Communications,
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: um, that was out here. And it was actually over the line from Williamstown, Massachusetts. It was in Pownell, Vermont. And so that's how I got my start Was I started at Story in 1993. <laughs> um, and I had always done a lot of crafts and, and handwork growing up. I'd, my mother had, we'd love to sew together and we knit and I um, did a lot of, and my mother would, did, was a gardener. And um, so it really felt like a natural fit when I started to get introduced to Story's books that so many of them were uh, do-it-yourself books.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, I'm really curious about uh, because you've been with the company so long and and obviously, you know, the history. So how how does someone start a publishing company like, you know, we think of huge publishing companies like Random House and Penguin Books. And uh, so I'd love to hear sort of how John and Martha began story and then all the way through to now succinctly um, (laughs) because I know you're um, now Hachette owns Story and so so how that all works. Yeah,
1: it's quite an interesting story, Uh, story, story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, so John John Story had worked for a company called Garden Way, uh, which was in Troy, New York. And then they also had offices in Charlotte, Vermont. And they made garden equipment, rototillers, and oh. garden carts. And they had started a line of books. Um, one of the noteworthy ones was Dick Raymond's *Joy of Gardening*, that helped support the sale of their garden oh, right. equipment. Right. So um, when that company kind of disbanded, John Story bought the book program, oh. and that became an instant backlist, as we say. So backlist are books that are not the books that have just been print, uh, published this year, but have been in print for a while. So I think he had a hundred or more books that he acquired at that point, as lo- along with that series of bulletins, which were these little 32 page booklets that they were selling. Um, they were called the country wisdom bulletins. And they were uh-huh. little subjects like how to make vinegar and you know, how to make a braided rug and um,
0: are those still around? Some of those?
1: They are still around. Yeah, they're still yeah. in your catalog. Yeah, they're still mm-hmm. in our catalog. Okay. We haven't been producing any new ones, but there right. are country stores and mm-hmm. places that that really like selling those.
0: Right.
1: So that was 1983 that uh, John and Martha Story started Story Story Communications. And as I said, they started it in Pownell, Vermont. I think the Vermont cachet uh, at having a Vermont address. And they had a tagline that was Books for country living. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of animal raising books, um, mm-hmm. as well as gardening books, and some uh, organic f- gardening books and farming books in that original list of books. And some of those original books are still in our catalog. <laughs> some of the ah. books like uh, Tan Your Hide and Basic Butchering and <laughs> um, Let It Rot, which is a kind of our classic compost book. Those books date from the 1970s. Um, right. So, yeah. So that was how they started. And it was, they started small. I joined the company in 1993. So it was on their right around their 10th anniversary. Um, and the company was still quite small when I joined. Um, and the, the challenging part for a book publishing company is how you get your books distributed. Mm-hmm. So at that time, a story was distributed. They had a, a, a distribution agreement with Harper um, Harper Collins. I don't know if it was Harper Collins then, but it was Harper. And um, so they always had a distribution uh, partner. And when they were looking for a new distribution partner, I think it was in 1999, they approached uh, Peter Workman at Workman Publishing. And he really liked stories, ethos, and it kind of resonated with how Workman had started. He had started his own uh, company in in the late 60s. so he took Story on as a distribution client. And then about a year later, or a year and a half later, I think in 2000, um, John and Martha decided they wanted to sell the company and Peter Workman was interested in buying it. So that was, we were sold to Workman Publishing. Okay. The great thing about that move was that um, Peter Workman really supported creativity. And as you, if you know Workman at all, they're the publishers of Brain Quest and the inventors of the page a day calendar and they're a very inventive company and so he really supported a very creative um creative culture and so story was allowed to stay in our offices at at that point we had moved into the uh office space at mass mocha in north adams massachusetts and um so we stayed there and we really were we were supported to continue to grow our books and that's really where our program really grew, especially in terms of formats and more color and, um, and thinking about how our topics could be more mainstream maybe than they had been in the past. So, um, and then, and then, so that's over 20 years. We were, distributed and owned by workmen mm-hmm. um, and stories had about 50 employees in our offices at mass mocha okay. and then just this year the workman family uh peter had died eight years ago and carolyn workman turned 80 years old and her, her okay. kids didn't want to take over the company so she started looking for a new home for it and um felt that hachette uh was very eager to um that, to have st- have workmen join as a division of Hachette, so we're set up as a separate, div- as a complete division. All the workmen okay. imprints, which include Workmen and Artisan and Algonquin Books, Story and Timber Press, in, in Portland, Oregon. So, um, so we're feeling very supported that we're going to be part. of, where we are part of a large of it, one of the large publishers, and yet it, there's a real commitment to keeping workmen. Um, and story as it's having its own identity and um, maintaining the creative culture that that those companies have have cultivated. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. And I wanted to know. So you have about fifty employees at mm-hmm. Story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just uh, hear a little bit about the makeup of the company and, um, in particular, the editing side because that's what I've been involved in and you've moved through. F- through your 28 years there uh yeah. through the editorial and then up to publisher
1: yeah so just yeah, it's been an very, overview. yeah it's been a very interesting uh process I never I never set up to I never set out to be like I want to be the head of the publishing right. program but uh it's kind of I think it's a it's a tribute to stories um very collaborative and supportive culture that Mm -hmm. my own growth has, has happened there. I started as a project editor, which means our project editors are pretty much manuscript editors. Um, And then we have the next layer of editorial for us, are acquisitions editors who are people that are going out and um, acquiring new books. So we do a combination of looking at proposals that people submit to us and thinking of ideas that we think would be a great addition to Story's editorial program. So I was an acquisitions editor for a number of years, and then I became publisher, I think about about 10 years ago, I guess. (laughs) And that's, so now I oversee the whole publishing program and the acquisitions part of it. Um, It's really distinctive. I think that Story has a full house of in, in-house editors and art directors. And we're really committed to it being a very collaborative process and with the authors as well. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we haven't been in the offices now for almost right. a few years, but we really love being together and being able to um, editors and designers to work together on the page to, uh, to really work our designs and have them um, really support the editorial content.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's get into how we met and then sort of how a book is produced. Hmm. So so when you were an acquisitions editor, um, some people might think that I was banging on doors looking to <laughs> publish my first book, but that is not what happened to me. And I, I think this is not unusual with story. Um, hmm. You sought me out. You want yes, to tell that I was, story?
1: I, Right. I was the one banging on doors. <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very interesting because we, you know, I think for a while we we're we might have been called a niche publisher. And in some ways we are, there's certain topic areas that we're very committed to growing. Um, and we do have this mission statement, which not all publishers do, but we have a mission statement about publishing practical information that promotes personal independence and harmony with the environment. And that's a pretty big umbrella. And I think as an acquisitions editor, I've always had, found it fun to think, how big can that umbrella be? How many topics? So, So gardening has always been a core topic of ours. So then when I started doing acquisitions, we would have creative brainstormings and think about, okay, what? what else are gardeners interested in be t- besides technique books for gardeners? And um, and that's where we started getting into, I started exploring the whole herbal area and connecting with herbalists and going to herb conferences. But another area of that was the crafts that, that mm-hmm. people that have gardens or enjoy being outdoors in nature and enjoy doing things with their hands might be interested in. And so a lot of the way I do acquisitions, and actually this is still continued, I mean it, it, when I first contacted you it was because I was, I think I was actually writing away for catalogs from like botanical gardens and, um, and looking at who was teaching workshops and workshops that sounded interesting. Um, now I subscribe to all these online newsletters and it's really great to, you know, to, but a lot of it is keeping your finger on the pulse of like who's out there and what are they doing that's interesting. And one of the other things that distinguishes story is that we've always thought, we've always sought out authors who are experts at what they do. And we always say like in the gardening world where I was like, we want the people that have their hands in the dirt. You know, we don't want to go hire a journalist to research composting and write a book about it. Right. So, um,
0: so yeah, so I I'm going to just interject here that, um, I taught a workshop at the Horticultural Society of New right. York. So you right. must have subscribed to that newsletter. Right, right. And um, it was called Compost paper making, And so you <laughs> mentioned the book, Let It Rot. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, and I was making paper. I had moved to New York after college and was making paper at a Doudonet paper mail, facility working there. And yeah, I was really interested in, paper being able to be made from the ground up like you could literally grow your plants and then turn them into
1: sheets of paper and works of art right and right. So somehow that yeah piqued your interest yeah it did and i i remember i Yes, as you, as you remember too, I, I think I put together, I wrote a letter on a piece of paper, yeah. I typed a letter, and, and I think maybe sent you a couple of our books and just said, you know, if you'd be interested in writing a book, I see you're teaching this class, and it seems like a really interesting angle on um, papermaking, and especially with the garden plants, and, um, and that's how we, we first started working together
0: yeah and um you know thinking back now I can say this 25 years later but I don't feel like I was an expert at that point (laughs) but another thing I've seen you say or heard you say is that you work with people who are passionate and I definitely had the passion yes Uh, yes, yes. and I figured out that I could interview my expert colleagues and figure out how to put this into a book so i do think the book is came out really well um, because of my colleagues
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and i do think that you're right i mean the the passion is a big part of it and and with a a a very the other thing i look for um is a unique perspective on uh, an approach that wow Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a book done on this Mm -hmm. you know and something that That really helps us when we get to the the marketing of the book. It's like the first question we always get asked um, by our salespeople, but I always say to the editors, we're salespeople right from the beginning, because it's our Mm -hmm. job right from the beginning to like, how do you describe this book in two sentences? What makes it different from what's out there? But also, how will it relate to books that are already out there? And how do we know that there'll be people who will get excited by the content of the book? So, um, so I think that's where, you know, that combination of like a unique approach, but also um, something that's not, you know, uh, too esoteric.
0: <laughs> right, right. And you, so let's just go to like the official proposal submitting process, because that is also something that people can do and people listening might be interested in. Um, and you have a, on your website under the other, I was just looking, section is like how to submit a proposal. And Mm -hmm. it includes, you even ask the author, how is this book distinct? So before you even get started, you want it to be unique or want the author thinking about why is it unique? Yeah. so I see how that really goes through the whole process.
1: Yeah. It has to go through the whole process is that being able to articulate very succinctly Mm -hmm. what this book is about and and who the audience is and what will make it a compelling book. Um, And then who, yeah, knowing who the audience is. And I I think a lot of times authors want to say, oh, this book book will appeal to everybody. And that's not actually what a publisher always wants to hear. You (laughs) kind of want to hear, especially with the kinds of books that story does, you want to hear that there's an avid audience of enthusiasts who are like, who are going to really, who are going to really be interested in this is this approach because there isn't any book out there that hits it exactly on this angle, but you want to know who the audience is, um, and that there's an audience there. And that's, so that's part of the proposal we ask for, um, yeah, a statement about the, the, the market opportunities. We, we ask for a preliminary table of contents, Mm -hmm. um, and we ask for, uh, the author's statement about uh, their their platform, I guess, as we call it now, which has become more and more important. Of just how would you help publicize the book? Where would you? Where do you see the audience for the book, and how would you help reach them? Um, and in, of course, now it's very helpful if you have a social media presence, um, it, because right. reaching the out directly out having a direct connection with the readers is is important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now um, my first book with you, papermaking with plants was hardcover. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about hardcover versus paperback because that was then re I don't even know published. It's a separate, a paperback book is a separate entity and the title changed the cover changed the contents stayed the same, uh, maybe a few updates, but, um, that's papermaking with garden plants and common weeds. Right. And then, So, and well, maybe we can go into this elsewhere, but books also sometimes go out of print. And so the hardcover
1: is no longer in print, but the paperback still is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. Most of our books are published in in paperback Mm -hmm. um, just because we like to keep them affordable too. And that's one Mm -hmm. component of it. I don't actually remember how we decided to do your original (laughs) book in hardcover. it was kind of an exception, I think, that we were, but I think maybe with craft books that we feel will become references that people would like to keep on their shelves, that the hardcover format is appealing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also, if we feel a book has a, a, a big um, opportunity in the libraries, hardcover is much preferred by, by libraries. Oh, so that's another right. reason. Right. Um, but I think the case with your book is kind of interesting because it kind of shows too how the other thing is that we're committed to keeping our books in print for a long time. As I said, so we published it with that title, "The uh, Paper Making with Garden Plants," and then I think when we decided, I think we we weren't as, as happy with the sales as we had hoped, and but that by that point we saw an increase of interest in the herbal community, and I think we thought by getting a across the idea of the common weeds and plants and make it not so that it it communicated that you didn't have to be a gardener to use this book that if you were a forager or somebody who just loved plants um, that you could use it was as accessible as being able to keep uh, pick weeds along the side of the road you know and, and so that kind of thing so i i'm i'm reconstructing it a little in my yeah, head but, yeah. I, but it's interesting how we do go back and sometimes and recast books with a different title. If we think that we might be able to hit a new audience or expand the audience for the book.
0: Right. And the, yeah, I remember being told way back when that a paperback versus hardcover audience is different. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think originally we might've wanted a higher price point too, because if we feel like, like doing a hardcover and having it higher priced, if we think the, if we're not confident in how big the audience is, then If we can do it higher price, we don't have to sell as many copies for it to be profitable for the company and the author and everybody. So that's another consideration in in doing hardcover.
0: Right, right. And I don't want to forget, maybe we can just touch on this, how many copies in general do you print? I know you reprint, you keep reprinting because these are backlist.
1: Yeah, Uh, but our first printings in order to feel Um, And this is something we look at when we're, when we're considering a proposal, I think in order Mm -hmm. to feel, to be able to be profitable and cover the costs of our production, we're looking at being able to sell between 10 and 20,000 copies of being able to have a first printing of usually, I think an average of 10 to 15, 15, 15,000 copies is probably an average first printing somewhere in that area. Um,
0: Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about that again when we talk about advances and things, mm-hmm. um, but let's just zip through. So um, after papermaking with Garden Plants and Common Weeds, uh, I don't even think it was published yet because I kind of can remember where I was living. <laughs> <But> you, <laughs> yeah. you you called me and asked me if I knew anyone who might want to write a book called The Papermaker's Companion, which was part of a series. So let's talk right. a little bit about how series develop and yeah
1: yeah yeah it's interesting that the series had um sometimes we start uh we had we had started a series it started with a book called um uh the herbal body book i think and we had developed a very distinctive this was in the in the late 90s i guess we had developed a very distinctive look for that series that had this kind of recycled paper look to it, um, or a brown bag kind of paper look, very, um, very kind of, um, uh, yeah, very natural looking, which at that time felt really appropriate. And then we, we branched out and we did a soap making book, and then, and then we did a soap maker's companion, and we did it so that became a series, and we had a distinctive look, and that was doing well. So we thought, well, it's kind of this natural. Uh, natural crafting series so we had soap making and then we did candle making and so then I had the idea of well, how about a paper making and these were in-depth technique books that um were just were illustrated they were two color and um I will say at that time that I talked to you you know paper makers the paper making with garden plants and common weeds was kind of unusual for us because we really weren't publishing very many full color books when I started at story in 93 all our books were were one color or two color at the most, and we didn't have any color printing. Um, we didn't have any relationships with color color printers, and so the paper making with co- garden plants and common weeds was one of our first full color books. But most of the books we were doing were one or two color, so that's how this companion series had um, developed.
0: And let's just touch on that then was that printed overseas was that like an early overseas yes it Maybe. was okay. yes
1: it was it was printed overseas i believe and your black
0: and white or two color were printed yeah. in america uh, domestically
1: or? yeah okay. yeah
0: mm-hmm. okay ah uh-huh
1: yeah and we really i mean i think also with that paper making we've garden plants that was a one of our it was an early book for us in terms of actually setting up a photo shoot and uh, doing the photography hiring up, working up with a photographer in their studio, I remember being there with the art director and, um, and it got me really, I mean, that's the other thing that I love about being an editor at story. It got me very interested in paper making And I remember <laughs> uh, experimenting after uh, working on that first book. And um, it's, it's really fun that i discover a lot of new interests right. and uh, hobbies myself from the books that I edit. Um,
0: yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And then the, so the papermaker's companion, um, yeah, I always thought it was funny that you, you asked me if I knew someone who might be interested, (laughs) maybe you were thinking I might say yes. I don't know, but (laughs) I was like, yes, me, (laughs) because I was really interested in all the things you could do within the papermaking process and outside of it, frankly, I love paper as a material. So, um, yeah, I thought that would be great. I could just go through painting with paper pulp and sculpting with paper and watermarks and all of the techniques.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that book is really, it's it's still really rich. I mean, it's a wonderful compendium of all the techniques. And
0: yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, the third book that I did with Story was Paper Illuminated, which I'll just tell the backstory briefly. When you approached me to write paper making with plants, I was working at this paper studio in New York, Doudonnet, and uh, another publisher called there and asked if anybody, they were looking for an author to write a book about paper lamps and lanterns. And I was really into that, exploring that. So the people I was working with knew that. And so I got handed the phone and I actually started a project with this other publisher, had a whole outline, you know, you, you do a lot of the work up front and I got to the first deadline and they, they canned the project and it didn't go any further, um, based on the sales of other books. And, uh, so that was hugely disappointing, but then I had, you know, after I was done these two books with you i said hey you know i have this this uh, other book that didn't go anywhere with this other publisher would you be interested and uh, i think it was a little different out of your whatever niche genre but thank you for publishing it because <laughs> that has been uh, that's really uh, one of yeah the the main it's really helped my career these projects in that book and teaching online and yeah, yeah that's really- great.
1: That's great. It's a beautiful book. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. And I, you know, another aspect of what we do, I feel like it's timing. And sometimes I wish the timing had been later actually mm-hmm. when like now, you know, where story has this like richness of, of full color, um, right. more kind of, uh, craft and art books that are more on the kind of, um, well, on the home deck angle, with the home deck angle, um, it, was, it was early for us to do a book like that. But the other thing that it shows is we once we start working with an author who is successful, we really like to keep building that relationship. So the opportunity to have a third book with you, um, it really helps uh, to have several books with the same author because when we're doing publicity and promotion and things right. to be able to be selling more books is great. We much prefer that to having the author have books with (laughs) a a bunch of different publishers so if we can if we can make it work in our list
0: yeah yeah um yeah so I did write two other books with another publisher and I don't even remember (laughs) if we had a conversation about this because I it was actually the same publisher that had approached me early on but a different editor and um, she had asked me if I wanted to write a, a book and I, I wasn't interested in that particular topic, but I'd sort of kept the idea in mind. And then I approached her. I don't know why I didn't approach you, but anyways, I've written two books with
1: another publisher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, the other thing is, I think you might've mentioned them to me and it's like, things go up and timing, you know, yeah. we, we, trends go up and down. And I think for a while we really stopped publishing as much in the in the craft area right. and uh found our focus more in other areas where we start to see um when we start to see sales go up in another area because we only do 40 books a year and right. we don't keep it we don't keep expanding the number of books we do. So if we start to see things like, oh wow, you know home brewing is really becoming big now, we put more of our focus on home brewing or, you know, um or gardening and um so so it so tr- so it's interesting to look at our lists and there's like, oh, there's a whole lot of craft books. And then, oh, there's a lot fewer craft books this year. Right,
0: right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, but one of the points I want to make with that was um, I actually, you know, very early in my career, like even before I started writing books or found the paper studio in New York, I got interested in what you could do with one sheet of paper. And, um, so I actually pitched that book to this other editor and, um, she wasn't interested, but she did, she had just done a book called playing with books. So she thought, oh, we could do a book called playing with paper. And then I did playing with pop-ups and then, um, and then I came to visit you and story at story actually, this is another sort of interesting story yeah. that um, the papermaker's companion, as as you mentioned, is two color. So right. no photography. And I I decided 12, 15 years ago that maybe I could do a video that sort of illustrated you know, how to do. So not only photographs, but actually moving because to okay. see how to make paper, it's really helpful to to actually see it done to take a class in person. Um, but there's so much you can do with video now. So I did, I produced this papermaker studio guide and I had done a sculpture called mother tree and a professor Melanie Mowinski from mass college of liberal arts, which is right around the corner from you somehow heard about that sculpture and uh, wanted to have it come visit her college. And we did this whole thing where story helped, uh, flew me out and um, the college brought, paid for the shipping and it was really nice. And um, I, yeah, shared the papermakers studio guide with your staff. And it's a kind of compliments uh, the papermakers companion. It's still yeah. available to listeners online. It's a, available as a download now. It was an actual DVD prior to this. Um, But anyways, I was there at story looking through your bookshelves. You have beautiful offices with like the the books that you've published and noticed the one skein wonders series. Mm -hmm. And now you have one yard wonders and, you know, things that can be made from one skein of yarn or one yard of fabric. Very clever. And I just thought one sheet wonders that <laughs> this is what I have been fascinated with since the beginning. This is my thing. So um, yeah, I just, it just stayed in the back of my mind. So a couple of years ago, I approached you again and said, and I think when I was visiting there, you said something to me, like maybe you'd want to do a more comprehensive book about paper someday. And so I had kept that in the back of my mind and yeah. So now here we are. The Art of Papercraft is coming right. out <laughs> and it's available now for pre-order anywhere you um, purchase books. You can get it on my website, Stories, um, Amazon. And um, yeah, so it, I want to just go through briefly sort of the the process of, we've talked a little bit about production, but So I, um, yeah, I talked to you initially, and then you put me in touch with an acquisitions editor who I submitted the formal proposal to. Mm -hmm. And then um, just tell me a little bit about that. Like you have, you must, you have meetings every so often about. Yeah. Yeah. So we,
1: yeah, we have weekly what we call pitch meetings with the group of acquisitions editors, where we bounce ideas off of each other, or we talk, we uh, present proposals to each other that we've received that we're really interested in and all the editors and and each of the acquisitions editors kind of has a area of specialty um but we're all interested in each other's ideas too so we have a we have a an acquisitions editor who has a lot of horticultural knowledge and she really focuses on the gardening books and we have somebody else on nature but but it's a really nice it's an it's it's a nice cross-pollination that happens in those meetings and um And as I always say to to our editors, it's like, you know, you're the first uh, avid reader of this book. Think of yourself as the reader. And here's the idea. Are you interested in reading the book? And what's going to make it compelling for you? And what's going to make it so you want to use it? And um, so that's where we would have kind of hash out ideas. And then we develop a proposal, ones that we identify that we'd really feel have a lot of potential then the editor develops it into a formal presentation. And then we present it to our publishing committee, which includes the associate publisher who oversees sales and then um, our marketing and publicity staff. And at that meeting, we talk about how we, if there are other refinements for, that would make it especially more marketable or add to the appeal of it. and then, if everybody agrees that they're excited about the idea, then we move it to uh, we go ahead and do a budget. And um, and at Story, we our budget includes the cost of photography or illustration, um, as well as the editing costs and the and the design you know editing and design which we do in house primarily. But um, I know with some publishers they have the the author submit. The photos or the illustra- be responsible for for getting the photography or the illustration, and we do some of that occasionally. But we really like to um, have our hands in on the on the whole development of the book, and we work with photographers and, illust- and illustrators all over the, the world, actually. And so, um, so that's how the process. And then we go and then we move to contract if we if we ha- have a budget and we do sales projections and we do what we call a profit and loss statement. Say if we sell this many copies of the book and it's priced at this um, we do projections of how many we think we could sell the first year, the salespeople do that. And so then we, we do an assessment. We're like, Oh, it looks like we could be profitable with this. Then we draw up a contract and our, our contracts are royalty contracts.
0: Right. So let's just briefly touch on that. So there's, um, the two general ways to write as an author are work for hire or royalty. And work for hire, you get a flat fee and royalty. You get an advance, which is built into this budget you were just talking about.
1: Right, right, yeah. And, and work for hire, you literally are selling your, your right. work so that you don't own it anymore. The copyright is in the name of the publisher. Um, whereas on a royalty contract, you, ha- you hold, the author holds the copyright um, and story, story copyrights it in your name. And if the book ever goes out of print, the content reverts to you, so I mean you can get the rights back to it, so you always own you always own it, um, but you've almost it's almost like you've kind of licensed it to story as um, to be the sole publisher of it for the lifetime of the book so um, and yeah, we do an advance against royalties, so it's it literally is like uh, we yeah it's it's an amount of money that we calculate actually what we think the author will earn in royalties in the first year. It's like if like, if we say we're gonna sell 15,000, we hope to sell 15,000 copies of the book in the first year, we actually calculate based on the royalty rate, how much the author would make in royalties the first year. And because we're fairly small and we, um, we don't have huge deep pockets <laughs> really, we, we, and we're pretty disciplined um, financially. So we try to um, have our advances not exceed the royalties for the first year. But then our goal is to have the author continue to receive royalties every six months for the lifetime of the book, and we hope that that's a very long lifetime. So as I always say to authors, it's, 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 not, it's not an easy way to make a living, and you don't ever want to calculate how much you're getting paid per hour for, for the <laughs> writing. <laughs> There's got to be another reason. There's got to be that passion, and there's got to be another reason for writing the book than making money because that's this is not the right way, the right path, unless you're James Patterson or something.
0: (laughs) Hey, listeners, let's take a little break here. And I want to let you know that you can pre order a copy of The Art of Papercraft now. And if you're listening to this after February 15th, 2022, it is available through my website or wherever fine books are sold. I've compiled a collection of 40 unique projects in this book, designed by paper artists from around the world, each using just one sheet of paper. Combining decorative paper techniques like marbling, stamping, and stenciling with dimensional techniques like origami, cutting, folding, quilling, stretching, weaving, and pop-ups, The Art of Papercraft offers a rich variety of projects that will delight crafters, artists, and designers alike, including paper votive lights, pop-up cards, folded paper gift boxes, and envelopes, woven paper wall hangings, miniature one-sheet books, and much more. If you'd like an autographed copy, you can order that directly from me at helenhebertstudio.com, and you can also find the book wherever fine books are sold. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, so craft books are not uh, best sellers. Uh, I'm Literally. sure you have a few that yeah, have yeah, really yeah. taken off. Yeah, but, and um, over
1: time, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have With multiple never... income streams. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <number>. <laughs> but story is very good. I found working with the two different publishers, um, you know, I was consulted on how much time do I need to write the book because I do run a business and I'm not going to be spending full time for however many months writing the book. It will be broken up. And so um, I've, I've always had a year at least. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been great working yeah. with story. Oh, that's good,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hate to put pressure on authors in terms of delivering the manuscript, because as I said, our goal is to get a book that's gonna last for a long time, mm-hmm. not to get it out there as fast as we can. So, and that can be frustrating for authors once they submit their manuscript, because it can take a year, year and a half for us to actually get to a finished book. And, and especially with, with COVID, delays these it takes, days, exactly. it can be even longer. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, and I will say, um, With the two books I did with the other publisher, they're more of a front list publisher, whereas Mm -hmm. you're the backlist. So you Mm -hmm. keep your books in print, keep marketing them. That's the thing about that is that you keep they're in your catalog. You're talking about them year after year. And the other one, I think it's just for a year. And I never made any royalties on those. Mm -hmm. And they went out of print. And I still do get royalty checks from story. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's just touch on the title uh, Uh because uh, I know I wanted this book to be called One Sheet Wonders. And I I don't know if you have anything. We never really had a dialogue about that. I'm sure sheet could be misconstrued, it might be too obscure. But we ended up with the art of papercraft. Yeah. And it was, it's, I don't know if you guys have a big meeting about that or, you know, I'm able to like say what I want the, book to be titled right. at the beginning right. and actually right. I was looking at my notes and I said 100 uh, things that could be made with a sheet of paper which yeah. was way over because yeah. right.
1: we ended right. up with about 40 projects 100 right. would have right. killed me right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny because yeah I think a lot of our projects begin like that of like you know the one yard wonders and the one skein wonders books each had 100 and 101 projects or the one skein had 101 projects I remember I think they each had 100 projects in them and um and so you know you start with a model like that like oh let's do a paper one like that but 100 projects and then you start to discover like you know that's not
0: (laughs) the other thing about those,
1: yeah a lot the other thing about those books is that this one skein um was that they were kind of crowdsourced which is like they, they um, mm-hmm. have a lot of different contributors and, mm-hmm. and actually you used that part of the model too. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get to the titling, it's, it's hard for me to retrace steps on titling. Cause we really get input from a lot of different places mm-hmm. um, and um, including yes, us. And then we, we uh, we do preliminary We have several different meetings with our key sales and marketing people at Workman, which is our bigger sales force that really, and we'll get feedback from some of the key people there, um, somebody who sells to Barnes and Noble and somebody, you know, who sells, who handles the Amazon account and somebody who's, who handles the independent bookstore accounts and somebody and so we'll get, we'll get really good feedback from them about what they think they, you know, how much the title is, is. Um, is working in terms of that whole comes back kind of to that idea of like you're pitching the book you've got two minutes does the title say what what it is and I think I think the sheet you know it's interesting because I think the skein and the I don't know if this is true or not but the skein and the yard are kind of very um, tangible kinds of Uh concepts that immediately resonate with the audience of Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and whereas I think maybe the sheet in some ways, it feels like you need to say sheet of paper, I guess I would say, <laughs> and then yeah. it becomes so
0: well, especially in your line now that I'm thinking about it. Because the yard and the skein are fabric, so a sheet right. is exactly. also
1: fabric, so well, that's true too, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think we've also felt like, um, you know, we haven't had a paper crafting book in a long time, and I think that
0: mm-hmm. the
1: promise of that, um, and the other part of it, I think, is that your work and the work that you that um you know you you had contributors uh submit was it's so artistic that I think it 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 bridges between art and craft, which right. I know you do and so um so I, I I feel like the title really captures the and it also promises to be a comprehensive you know kind of a complete volume which I think your book is really a rich it's it's really a rich collection of original ideas and projects and so
0: yeah thank you and it it's really you know books are really a, sort of a snapshot in time because yeah. there certainly could have been a hundred projects there are so many paper artists out there um and you know i just had to sort of once we decided how many pages the book was going to be and sort of how it was going to look and the different things i wanted to put in there um I had to just pick and choose and fill the pages and and never do everything you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, once we've started getting into the step-by-step instructions and, and, you know, then it's like, how long do you want this book to be too? (laughs) That's always a, that's always a discussion that we have too, of what's, what's the right format of the book. Um, We really enjoy that conversation about what's the right trim size and the format and the, Mm -hmm. um, and then, and the page count and, and, and the page count that we can afford to do at the price point that we want the book to be at, too. So,
0: Right. And I know with this book, there was a little um, uh, discussion on that because it originally was going to be print produced overseas, but now it's being uh, printed here.
1: Yeah.
0: And part of that has to do with COVID. Can you just yeah. talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um that you know the we've been really uh, reliant on China primarily for uh, for oversee for color printing um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the all the investment in the technology in the in color printing has happened primarily in China, um, but with it's really yeah COVID related uh, with the shipping mm-hmm. the, the whole issue with shipping containers and delays has um, has really put a kink in our ability to get books on time, um, and even to get a spot in, in printing lines. Um, so it's been really interesting to, to see that happen. And, um, and we just decided that we needed to, to bring more of our books. We'd always wanted to print domestically anyway. I mean, for, a, mm-hmm. I think the environmental yeah. w- sensitivity of, of, you know, how big a, a, f- a footprint a book has that is printing overseas and then be having to be sent on a ship and, um, but the, but the quality of our books has always been important to us and the pay, including the paper and the, 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 uh, the selection of paper and, and cover, effects on covers, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we like to do things like special effects on covers, whether it's embossing or matte lamination or, um, and we've had so much more options with that with overseas printing at at an affordable cost. I mean, I guess cost is a big part of it too, Um, but that's, um, I think it's in some ways it's, I hope that it's giving domestic printers an opportunity to expand their capacity to do a, a wider variety of, of, um, of formats. But, you know, when, when, when we say we're going to release a book and we've already announced a, a release date, we had to start, start moving our release dates yeah. out. And it makes it challenging because we, we want to guarantee a, a release date. You, you set a release date so that that literally the books are all shipped from the warehouse that day. And you don't want it to be that some accounts are getting it before other accounts, Mm -hmm. Um, and you want, and you want it to come out at the right time of year, sometimes too, for, for what you've promised. So all of that, the timing and the, um, yeah, and the dependability, we had books that were just in containers out floating out there. And it's like, we don't know when we're going to, they're going (laughs) to get to the warehouse. So. Right.
0: Okay. So my, my book, The Art of Papercraft is eight by 10. And Three hundred and twenty pages, right. and I think initially it was going to be hardcover, but right. because right. of this change to printing domestically, right. Right. Um, it's paperback now, which I'm right. fine with because it's a book meant to be used, and I think that yeah. is yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I want to just touch on the the writing and editing process, or the editing process, I guess. So I had about a year to put together my book. I can't quite remember. I must have talked to the project editor. Prior to that, mm-hmm. or would I have just talked to the acquisitions editor and then had my deadline and then, Oh, I think that's right. I yeah.
1: wrote,
0: I, I wrote everything and right. then I submitted it and then the project editor is assigned.
1: Right. right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Once everything is submitted, I mean, sometimes there's some communication in advance, right. especially if there's going to be photography or in your case, you know, delivering actual projects uh, for for to be photographed and making arrangements for how that's all gonna happen.
0: Yeah, and in my case, um, I do remember originally, I was going to come out for a couple of weeks and work with the editor and photographer and do all the photography in house, which would have been, I think simpler than what we ended up having to do because of COVID. So I did have to prepare everything to send and that put a lot of pressure on the editor, I think. Yeah. yeah. How do we photograph this? Yeah. I, I think we did okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. No, I think you did great. And I, um, yeah, I will say that just you know just briefly that that process of um, it just shows how far Story has come from when we did that original you know paper making your original paper making with garden plants is like we now have a photo studio in our offices. We have an on staff photographer. Um, and especially for books that have step-by-step how-to, it's been really fantastic to be able to, um, to set that up right in our offices and do the step-by-step photography, um, and not have to, um, you know, go, go to another photographer's studio. And, um, it's been great. The editor can be, the editor and the art director can be right there on, on site. And often we love having the author there, especially when the author has, expert insight into how something should be photographed um so it was too bad that we weren't able to have you there yeah. but it did work out
0: yeah and with one of my no with both of my books with the other publisher I actually had to work with a photographer locally so I lived in Portland for one of those and then here in Colorado for the other one and I didn't like that as much <laughs> it was <Yeah. laughs> put more pressure on me like yeah yeah. how do we shoot this right right and yeah. uh the photographer has no relationship to you the publisher yeah. um so but
1: yeah and the other thing that we do is we do sample page designs before the photo shoot mm-hmm. so then the art director has a good idea of how they're going to use the, the the photos if they're going to be full page or if they're going to be small inset photos and um So that really helps to be for the heavy art director there envisioning how the photography is going to be used.
0: Right, right. And I wanted to ask one thing about editing, because with this particular book, uh, you know, I haven't written a book with you for a long time. So I may have forgotten, but um, it seemed maybe this is something you do all the time where um, I did submit some imagery with my manuscript, but not a lot. And so the editor was really just going through the text without mm-hmm. seeing what the projects look like. And she, Mia Lumson was great. She, um, she actually tried most of the projects, I think. And, and that was great. And I don't know how usual that is either. Um, but is, that, is does that benefit, like not having photos sort of benefit the text or... Is it just, I don't, different? I don't no. think
1: so. I think okay. it's better when we do have reference photos, but yeah. uh, because sometimes what happens is then we go to the photo shoot, especially when the author's there and the author starts doing it. And then sometimes we're like, oh, well, we have to change the text because it actually, you know, it, and so, or sometimes the author will start doing it a different way. I mean, you're very, you're, you're, you're very, no, uh, we definitely, it, definitely but. have issues <laughs> like that. <laughs> But it is, a, it, it is preferable to have photos, but I think it's great that, um, I mean, that's not unusual for our authors to actually, for our editors to actually, I've seen people sitting there knitting, you know, trying out the techniques and especially with craft books, I find it's, it's great for the editor to actually test the, <laughs> test the instructions and see how they're working out.
0: Yeah, I was really pleased that she did that. Um, okay, and then how about cover design? because this book actually was, the cover was designed by Owen Gildersleeve, who is a paper right. illustrator. And um, I was really honored that it, you guys, you was in the discussion, um, the designer actually had done some cover designs and had right. looked at his work. And I said, could we just hire a illustrator? I didn't know at that yeah. point that she yeah. had actually been influenced by him. Yeah. But um, just talk a little bit in general about cover design and.
1: Yeah. So the cover really is critical to the, I know you, you, always say you can't judge a book by its cover, but <laughs> books are judged by their cover. So, right. so it really is critical. And it's another thing like titling that we get a lot of input on. And so we start on our cover designs very early, often before, um, before the, before the manuscript editing is finished. Um, because the covers are the key sales tool and, and we do sell it's in the publishing industry. They, a lot of accounts sell in advance and we have do catalogs in advance. So we have to have covers for the book before the finished book. Um, and I think we have fabulous art directors that they do a lot of different concepts. They talk with the editor about the positioning of the book and understanding and who the audience is. And, um, and I think that's a really interesting process actually with your book that, um, that the, the art director really did, she had come up with, she had come up with concepts and she had tried, you know, they're very hands-on I guess too. And, um, and I think it's great that, uh, you know, that she had come up with this concept, but I also felt like it didn't feel true to the book. Once we started talking about it and you had pointed out, like it didn't feel true to the book to have all these paper artists work in the inside and then to have the cover be mm-hmm. kind of derivative by someone who wasn't a professional paper artist. Mm-hmm. Once we started talking about that, I'm like, of course, it makes sense that the cover should should really be an example of what you're gonna see on the inside too. Um, so mm-hmm. I love that the, the cover is amazing. And then we ended up using it as as our catalog cover too. Yeah,
0: with, yeah, that was super um, fun.
1: That was really, yeah. And I think that, you know, it speaks, I hope, to the collaborative process that we have with authors too, that we really, you know, we heard your voice on that. And I'm really Mm -hmm. glad you brought it up because it was like what the art director did, it was pretty good, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't what Mm -hmm. Owen Gildersleeve would do. So.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And I hope to have Owen on the podcast. So. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So just quickly distribution and publicity. So how does the Book get
1: out into the world and uh, yeah yeah well so, so, and this is you know kind of one of those reasons why um, we talked about a little bit prior to this conversation about why you're working with a publisher too is I think distribution is one of the key reasons to work with a publisher mm-hmm. because if you self-publish distribution can be a full-time job right um, and we have an amazing sales team through Workman and now through Hachette which is just has. Really wide reach into all kinds of places. Um, I mean, Amazon continues to to grow and to be a, a big outlet for online sales. But we feel it's really important to support all the all the sales outlets. So we have we have uh, rep groups that independent reps that call on independent bookstores, mm-hmm. and then we have a whole group of reps that we call gift reps who go to places that are non non book what we said non traditional um places it could be everything from it could be art supply stores in a in a case of a book like yours um to uh, for story there's things like um uh there's toy stores for our kids books there's uh farm and feed stores for our animal books there's mm-hmm. garden centers um and a lot of, of of we cover all kinds of specialty accounts too we have salespeople that sell um Um, And they can be large places and and our books get presented to places like Target and Costco. We have salespeople that have relationships with those buyers and and Barnes and Noble. And um, so it's, it's, and we also have distributors in Canada and the UK and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand and Asia for, for our own edition of the book Mm -hmm. in English. Um, But then we also have a, a, a foreign rights manager who goes to the Frankfurt Book Fair every year and has established relationships with publishers that are interested in buying foreign language rights to publish the foreign language edition of some of our books, and um, and that's really exciting too to see your books published in in other languages.
0: Yeah, I'm curious how that works. Um, yeah, my book paper illuminated was published in Polish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's that was great. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along the lines of international, I know a lot of my listeners live overseas and are interested in getting books. And usually they reach out to me and then I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they should be in bookstores in your country contact your bookstore. Um, And I know there's a contact for me at story that I've approached a few times to ask, you know, do you have accounts in this country or that country? Right. Right. Um, But, yeah, are what would what would you answer to someone asking from, uh, say, some country in Europe?
1: Well, we do. So we do have these these. distributors right. and i think we could put them in contact uh, it's not usual for a consumer so much right um and i guess i will say there is like amazon uk and you know amazon right. actually has international um but i think the best thing is is um is to ask for it at your local at your bookstore your yeah your local bookstore it really is right. the best thing because they are there are distributors who are that, that a bookstore could order it like a, in the UK or, um, you know, Australia, that they can, they can order from their distributor um, and their bookseller should be able to look up and see who distributes. It would be, they'd probably be under the Workman imprint. It would be like, who distributes Workman books um, in, in this, in this country and if they can get it.
0: Right. And I had an inquiry from New Zealand and they're, There is distribution in New Zealand. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty far reaching. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. What about publicity in terms of uh, you have any hot tips for me publicizing my <laughs> book? Like you've seen other authors do? I'm having, by the way, listeners, I'm having a book launch party virtually on February 15th at noon mountain time, Denver, That's Colorado. Great. So um, great. come to that. We'll be making a project and cool. I'll be talking
1: about the book. Oh, cool. I'm going to put that on my calendar. Okay. <laughs> that will be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Launch parties are a great idea. And um Pre-order campaigns are the hot thing these days. It's, it's I think, partly because of online sales being so strong that if you, it's a great way to get momentum going for the book mm-hmm. so that if people pre-order the book, um, and not to put in too many plugs for Amazon because I really don't want to, but if people pre-order, then online accounts like Amazon, when they see that kind of like, oh, there's some advanced Demand for this book, then they'll order more. They'll stock up on it more, and then they'll promote it more. And so that's part of how things work now. It's it's amazing to see how much um, publicity has changed. Yeah, you know, at the time yeah. that I've been at Story, and it's so when I first started at Story, publishers didn't really have a relationship, you know, direct relationship with the readers, the consumers. Um, we are most of our publicity. Was targeted at bookstores and um, and the retailers to get them to stock the book, um, and that's why you know you, we'd send authors to go do book signings. That's because then that would get the bookstore to order copies of the book. Right. Um, but that's all changed in the last twenty years and more recently with the social with social media and our ability to to communicate directly with our consumers, and that's in everything from, I think, if you can, if you have newsletters and really, really, really reaching your core. Um, and then I think the another aspect is a book like yours, where you have multiple contributors. Mm-hmm. That's been something that's really helped a lot um, with publicity recently. If um, If all the contributors help spread the word, it really is about getting the word spread. And so if the contributors have newsletters or uh, you know, social media and and can just post and say, Hey, I have a project in this new book. (laughs) Um, it, it, it helps the whole, the whole project and it's, um, and hopefully it helps the visibility of the contributors too, that they're, they're, um, you know, that they're included in this book. So those are the things that, I mean, I think the the Mm -hmm. social media piece of it, um, we still find that, you know, television can, can move, can move the needle, on. You know, we had a book recently that was had we had published in 2003 and the author actually is not alive. And uh, but it was featured on the Today Show. Somebody on the Today Show really loves the book and put in a plug for it. And suddenly we saw this, which is really great. A book from Uh, 2003 had a couple days of just like rush ordering (laughs) Uh
0: uh
1: um so you know that's another example of it's never too late right (laughs) uh, if the moment hits you know and um so and newspapers can still you know can can make a difference too sometimes and
0: uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. cool well uh listeners the art of papercraft hopefully you've heard about it before Mm -hmm. this because i have been uh plugging it and uh, on my website dot studio.com slash the art of papercraft there's a pre-order page but I do want to second that um ordering it anywhere is fine you don't have to order it from me your copy will be autographed if you do but um yeah we just want to get the book out there. Right. Um so okay so we're gonna wrap up but I had a couple of questions. I, I have a Facebook group called the paper studio and I asked if anybody had any questions and I got three and maybe we touched on some, but one, um, one was asking, how does one get their work included in a how-to book? Like, um, not, not to be the author, but to be sort of represented. And I can speak to that and maybe you have some other ideas. Uh, so with all of my books and actually it goes back to when I first visited you, you brought me up to story. I think it was still in Powell and then um, when I got my first contract and um, showed me some examples of books, asked me how I thought I would approach writing the book. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> but one thing you showed me was um, Nature Printing, which is a book you still have in print, maybe has a different title now. Um, and Laura Donnelly Bethman featured artists, little stories of artists. So I'm always on the lookout. You know, I am very involved in the paper world. So as an author, I'm always, um, love to feature other artists in my books. So that, you know, just being on my radar, um, Right. I can't, I can't feature everyone as I've said before. Yeah. But, um, and then sometimes I have put out calls for some of my books Like in the art of paper craft, I wanted to have um, photos of different decorative techniques in handmade paper and also like paste paper and surface design, just on filler pages, like the chapter opener. So I put out a call and I got over a hundred submissions. Now I didn't want the pressure of having to pick which ones. So if you submitted, And some of you were (laughs) included and some weren't. I just sent everything to story and they got to choose which ones. So there's no uh, rhyme or reason to that really, but that's another way. Do you have any Uh, other, have you seen other authors? I
1: think that, yeah, I think that that's uh, of, um, especially now with, you know, with social media, it's so to, to, to get into the conversation and be part of the network of, of, um, of people in the areas that you're interested in that's I think that's the best way so so you yeah you, that you're on people's radar and uh, and aware of your work mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. we touched on this uh, I'd be interested to learn how how story markets their books and to whom is it mostly a craft audience or more general and, and we've touched on that you craft what percentage of craft books do you publish do you think
1: that's really That's- interesting. <laughs> so
0: you said you do 40 books a year, but some years are.
1: Yeah. And, and I are- have to say that our biggest growth areas in the past. Uh, our biggest growth area in the past five years has been children's books. And um, there's, mm-hmm. there's been a huge opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And um, and we've done, you know, we've done a number of craft books in the in the kids area, too. Um, and it's, and and crossover things with with nature observation and crafts. Um, And, uh, like, and, and, and science and crafts, we did a book on cardboard box engineering, which is really fun uh, for kids. We say all the, all kinds of things you can make with a cardboard box. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I would probably say that it's, uh, out of our 40 books, mm, you know, it's interesting to think about that. I think, I think it's probably been a fairly small number, Mm um, it's maybe been about five books a year, I would think in the craft area specifically. Mm -hmm. So.
0: Okay. Um, And then the last question, we touched on this a little bit too, but uh, this, this woman says, I used to be director of marketing for a small book publisher. Um, I'd often get asked why authors should publish with a book publisher instead of self publish. Once they found out how small advances are, unless you're a best-selling author. So Mm -hmm. we did touch on that. And what, what publishers will do to market books and what authors will be expected to do themselves. So we touched on a lot of that. I would just say, I think working with a publisher just takes, so yeah, you've mentioned some authors have to take their submit the photos and uh, I just, that would just be too much for me. I I've really enjoyed the process of working with a publisher and the distribution.
1: Yeah. And I like to call it a partnership. I mean, I really Mm -hmm. think, some authors I think don't are are, think, are surprised when they submit their manuscript and then we start like really editing and really mm. and and transforming the 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 process and even thinking about what you said about you know one sheet wonders and then mm-hmm. and how the book evolved. There's an evolution which I think is really interesting and I hope that it gets better at every stage. Um, and that what the editor and art director bring to the project um, make it you know just just make it stronger and and hopefully amplify the goal is to amplify the author's work and also make it um more marketable so there's that part of it I think in terms of the actual production of the book it's also expensive to you know I mean oh yeah having the the ability to to print a lot of copies and invest in the in the quality of the printing is, unless you have a lot of, you need a lot of capital to be able to do that upfront. Um, right. So besides the distribution and the marketing, I think that there's, there's a lot of other, um, you know, it de- and it depends on what you want. I mean, so there's, there's platforms where you can, you can publish an ebook, you know, without right. a lot of cost. And that's maybe a good option. Um, if you, especially if you want to get something out there and then, if it works well as an ebook maybe maybe a public you know a publisher will be interested then in, in doing a physical book later um
0: right oh since you mentioned ebook let's touch on that because um one of my books the paper maker's companion is an ebook mm-hmm. and um the art of papercraft will be also now so maybe you just are you doing everything ebooks and then paper making with plants was not an ebook but just i got curious someone from overseas asked me about getting mm-hmm. the book and i looked on amazon cuz frankly i didn't even know whether it was available and i saw oh no it's just the papermakers companion so i asked the project editor you know how how does that happen and she said oh well she talked to whoever yeah and yeah. <laughs> it's now papermaking with plants is going to be an ebook coming out the same time as the art of paper craft. So that's super cool.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, we do. We, we, we automatically release We We uh, automatically release an ebook version at the same time that the book releases now. So uh, with all of our books, you know, our current books that we're releasing and, and as, and story has actually put a lot of work into, we, we produce our own eBooks, which um, we found that we set up a whole, template, um, for eBooks so that it's not just a reproduction of the, of the page design of the book, but so that it really functions well as an ebook because our books have so many different elements to them. And, um, and we've been trying to catch up with, with some of our backlist books that never got converted to eBooks, but, um, we're still, we're, there are still books that we that we haven't yeah. released. Right. And I, that just also points to the fact that with your new book, we expect to be able to, give a little push to your, your previous books too. So yeah. having that available as an ebook and you know, we hope that it lifts that lifts all of your books too. So, um, so we are going back where we see opportunities and, mm-hmm. and we can get the rights to the photography. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's hard to get the the rights to the photography or illustration, but
0: Right. And what are you seeing in terms of sales? Because eBooks are not, at this point, are not meant to replace physical books. No,
1: no. And they really haven't replaced mm-hmm. physical Good. books. Good. And with our books, I think that they're, you know, they're, um, they've just become another format that, and, and actually they're a really strong promotional tool we find. Like we offer specials every month. We have some, what we call fresh picks, which are specials on eBooks. But really, I think often with our books, people buy the ebook and then they're like, Oh, I really want the physical book because, mm-hmm. you know, because they really are reference books. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, the other area that's really growing is audio books, but for story that most of our books are not conducive to, to audio. Right. Format. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you had a couple of recommendations. Tell me about the gift wrapping book you're working on.
1: Oh yeah. So I'm really excited. I, I, um, can't remember so there is an example of how i i, I can't remember how i first found out about Magumi, um anyway who has uh i think i actually she was profiled i think she was profiled in craft magazine that's what they um and that's where i first read about her and then i found um a video that she'd done for creative bug and it was really it showed her work and gorgeous gift wrapping using sustainable uh, a lot of recycled materials mm. but what I really loved was that her work goes deeper than um and, and really interesting I saw gift wrapping with using like those old tissue pattern pieces and and um and she creates um the the wrapping is really a a presentation the wrapping is a gift itself I guess in her work mm. and th- that I contacted her because we had done some books recently on gratitude. And she had said that, that wrapping was a a gratitude practice for her drawing on her Japanese heritage. And so we started talking about that. And so she's writing a book that, um, and she can be found on Instagram. That's where I really, it's called gift wrap by Megumi is her, her Instagram.
0: Yeah. We'll put that
1: in the show notes. Yeah. I think her, her work is just beautiful and I'm really excited because it has this also kind of philosophy behind it about, um, about wrapping as a, as a practice, as a gratitude practice, really. uh And, and, and the gift in the Japanese traditions has so much, both so much meaning for both the giver and the receiver. And it's not really so much about the gift as the act of, of giving and receiving. And uh, so it'll be a few years before her book comes out. So don't start looking for it yet. But I, but I do recommend uh, looking at her. Yeah,
0: you can follow her. her work, And I love that because often you think of gift wrapping as it's pretty and it makes the gift special, but then you just yeah. throw it away. Right. So right. this added element of the gratefulness yeah. is really wonderful. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, okay. And the Craft Industry Alliance. I'm a member, by the way. Oh, good.
1: Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful group. I mean, for people that have a small business, um, Abby Glassenberg started this group, Craft Industry Alliance. That's really been sell- um, growing and I think it's a fabulous resource. I find it is a great resource. Her newsletter is there's always links in her newsletter that to articles and um, that I find really useful. She's she's very savvy and
0: yeah, and she has got webinars and uh, discounts and a Facebook group. It is it's like sixty dollars a year, and you can save that. I, I signed up for a shipping through ShipStation and get a lower rate, and it yeah, it totally pays for it.
1: Roundtable conversations where you can share with the
0: members. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Monthly round table. Yeah. It's a wonderful group. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, Melanie Mowinski, who we mentioned before, (laughs) who brought mother tree out there. She's at mass college of liberal arts.
1: She has a book coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about, yeah. Coming full circle here. (laughs) Uh Um, but, yeah. Melanie's book will be coming out in June. It's called Collage Your Life um, Techniques, Prompts, and Inspiration for Creative Self-Expression and Visual Storytelling. Um, and I think this is, book is a fabulous companion, actually, to your art of Paper Craft because mm-hmm. Melanie brings that combination of artistic sensibility to kind of the practical um, aspects of collage. And she's got technique, um, but... I think it's gonna. It's just gonna be an amazing book. the The heart of the book is these fifty prompts that are really creative prompts um, mm-hmm. for jumpstarting collage. Um, and um, and she features the work of the thirty different artists that are featured in addition to her own collage work. But it's really focused on collage as a practice for expanding your creativity and so exploring self expression and telling stories about your life. So. That's that's yeah. Another. And I
0: know, I know she's done an annual advent collage a day. I don't think, yes. I don't know that she's doing it this year. Maybe she is, maybe I'm yeah. wrong. But, um, so yeah, it's great to see that. Yeah, it's another book that that's
1: started as cool. kind of, I think we, the original title was something like the, you know, uh, practice, of col- col- the practice of collage or something like that. It was, it was like that daily collage practice. And mm-hmm. then, um, uh, mm-hmm. the, the book has evolved to be even richer and fuller so
0: <laughs> right oh well deborah it's been so wonderful having you on the show tell us where we can find story
1: online you can find us at story.com and on instagram at StoryPub. and um yeah i think our website has a lot of articles on it so mm-hmm. it's a rich resource as well as the book catalog but there's a lot of excerpts and and articles from our authors there too. So thank you yeah. so much, Helen.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Great to catch up. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at helenhebertstudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Podcast, where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon.